Today on Gears' Quorn Streams, Jenny Lester and Catherine Wilson join me in discussing tabletop gaming and social change. Greetings, adventurers! My name is Vivek Santayana, and you're listening to the fourth episode of Gears' Quorn Streams podcast. When we go off on our adventures in the games we play, we work together with other players to solve problems in fictional worlds. We tell stories that sometimes ask the questions about what changes we want to see in our world and how we can go about making that a reality. My two guests for this episode are writers, performers, and activists with an abiding love for playing Dungeons & Dragons. Jenny Lester and Catherine Wilson join me to talk about how they feel the creative spaces in games like D&D can allow us to imagine possibilities of social change and the ways through which we as gamers can change our communities for the better. Now, if I may pull back the curtain for just a moment, true to the spirit of TRPGs, I had a very different episode planned at first. But when I started my interview, the things Catherine and Jenny brought up were so much more interesting than my original episode plan, I decided to make this the subject of the episode instead. Both Jenny and Catherine have a lot of experience working with third sector organizations that campaign for social change. I hope you enjoy listening to my conversations with them. As both Catherine and Jenny are avid D&D players, I started us off by asking them what got them into the hobby, and how their work as poets, performers, and as activists campaigning for social change inflects the way in which they play D&D. They had many insightful things to say about how the skills and imagination that writing, performance, and activism involve are the same as what we use when playing TRPGs. The way that I got involved in D&D was through other people who were my friends, who were poets and performers. That was Catherine Wilson, poet, writer, performer, activist, arts administrator, and when she finds a time, active gamer. Catherine has performed at the Edinburgh Fringe as a guest with Adventurers Wanted. She's also a trustee at the Young Women's Movement Scotland, for whom she has recently written a blog post about how playing D&D can be an empowering hobby. I'll link to Catherine's blog in the episode description. I think that there is something really interesting about the fact that there is a huge community of people who play D&D who maybe come from a similar background to me who really enjoy D&D because it's like a form of storytelling but also this really rich form of great getting to like put on a mask for a night in a way so getting to be whoever you want to be and getting to play and it's not just about kind of like doing the voices or or acting a lot it's like really getting to create a character and really dive in deep to who they are and what they would do and really enjoying taking your time thinking about what that person would specifically do in that in the set of circumstances they've been put in so i think in terms of being a, a, a writer and a performer the links to D are very much along those lines of of the storytelling the kind of like communal riffing off each other, so getting to add elements based on what other people are saying. But I think in terms of being an activist, what interests me about D&D is the potential that you can do anything, but in a very positive light. So one of my biggest criticisms of most fantasy that has been mainstream is that we are allowed to have things like dragons and trolls and things like that, but we're not allowed to have a world without intolerance. And to me, I'm just a bit like, what's the point? So for me as an activist, what I find interesting about D&D is the real opportunity to play positively. And and by that, I kind of mean 
the option to map out a world without the injustices that we have to kind of fight in our real world. I think activism is necessarily often from a point of quite negative emotions in a way, or or emotions like anger and um, injustice and despair and sadness. And politics right now is obviously really quite heavy. Um, so I think that with D&D, you're offered a kind of sandbox type place to flip that on its head and instead motivate your activism. Instead of um, being angry at what is, imagining what could be, um, the two things that I love about D&D and poetry are actually the same two things. That was Jenny Lester, poet, performer, Gaelic learner, D&D player and activist. She has performed with Loud Poets at the Edinburgh Fringe as well as Adventurers Wanted. She currently works at Equate Scotland and has previously worked at other feminist charities as well as mental health charities. Um, the first thing is that I get to perform as sort of like an over-the-top character and entertain people. I really do love being centre of attention and you get that in um, both. Um, the second reason that I love D&D and poetry is um, you can use them as a narrative to talk about things that are important to you. So in my poems I talk about feminism and mental health and climate change and grief and oppression and loss. I seem to always be putting that into my D&D as well. So like you know sometimes you sit down to write a poem and you know what you want it to be about. That's not necessarily the same way you write D&D especially if you're writing a character backstory. You might not sit down and be like I'm gonna write this character who's gonna play really well as a narrative against climate change you know what I mean but it sort of sneaks in there I guess um so I think they're integral to each other like Dungeons and Dragons is all about problem solving so I think it's really made me a better activist you know you're presented with an issue whether that's like a dragon or like a law you want to change um and you have to like come up with the tactics that you're going to use to overcome it um and that's almost the exact same way you'd go about planning a social active active campaign and like the way you work together with people and taking on other people's ideas and compromise, like all of that builds better social activism. And it's the only way you can play Dungeons and Dragons. I can't just be like, well, I think we should do this. Like, that's not that's not how it works. And it isn't how social activism should work either. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm a better D&D player from being an activist and a poet. And I think all of them together, like all three, just give you like really good creative energy that like you can put into Dungeons and Dragons games to make them real and authentic. You know, like a fantasy world that feels real and believable is filled with issues that we think are important in our world as well. Both Catherine and Jenny make interesting points about how TRPGs give us an opportunity to imagine better worlds. But there is an interesting contrast between what Catherine says about imagining worlds free from intolerance, and what Jenny describes as creating worlds that feel real because they reflect the same issues that are important to us. Now, on the one hand, it can be really empowering to play stories where we are heroes who fight the injustices of race, gender, class, or disability that we face in our day-to-day -day lives. But on the other hand, it can be exhausting and overwhelming to face these issues in the games that we play for fun, escapism, or enjoyment. So I asked Jenny and Catherine how we can strike a balance between these two aspects. I think I find that really interesting. I think especially when I'm when I am the dungeon master or the game master, I find it really interesting like where are you going to put things that the players might find difficult and how are you going to ask the players to engage with things that are hard. So I think for me I, I try to always make them optional. So there's a place in my world called King Seat and the motto of most of the people there is well it's King Seat not Queen Seat. I'm never going to ever make anyone in my world go there. You know, it's always going to be the optional side quests. If, for whatever reason, you're feeling like you really want to go and punch patriarchy in the face, like, great, great place to go. 
you know and I, and I I make sure that that isn't like an unmovable place either so like if my characters really wanted to go to King's Seat which they actually are doing right now and destroy this and make sure that the firstborn who happens to be a woman ha gets to be the queen you know they can go and do that they can impact that change on the world um so but I, I do think yeah I think it's really difficult because like you don't want your game to just be full of sexism and racism and ableism everywhere your characters go that isn't the escapism that we want because that would get really tiring but sometimes it is it feels really empowering to be able to break that thing that you couldn't necessarily break in our world so yeah I think it's it's interesting to have that sort of balance there and I do I do really struggle about like where to put it and how to put it like I think for me sexism is quite easy to put in there and make it easy to break as well because I know a lot more about that but I am like a white able-bodied woman so it's I find it more difficult to put racism in there but at the same time D&D is set up as such a like racist game you know <laughs> so it's like you know you have in um like goblins and orcs and things that are supposedly just supposed to be stupid and evil enough that it's okay for players to just kill them at any time and I just have a really hard time with that and you know you have like you know oh orcs are just stronger and elves just are smarter and the only mix of race you can have is a half elf like what is that about you know so I think making sure that like when you're putting inequality into your game you're also actively trying to put equality into your game so like if you play in my world and you want to make a character we never do like the pluses that come with each race so like if you want to be an orc that doesn't necessarily mean you get a plus to strength you can put that plus anywhere and it does mean you get play you get not only do you get players making like orc bards instead of just orc barbarians but also it takes away this sort of like weird racism that's just sort of built into the mechanics um, and also, I just think it's ludicrous that there are no other like dual heritage or mixed race races that you can play. So in my world, like we have quarter dwarves and like half tiefling, half elves, because like, why wouldn't there be? You know, if your fantasy world has existed for more than like 20 years, then presumably some people have had sex and made babies like, you know, and why would they always be of the same race? So, yeah, I think that's... Um, I think it's good to have inequality in your world because it makes it more authentic and it allows the players that sort of space to destroy things that make them angry in the real world. But I think it's almost equally or even more so important to make sure that your world, you're building a world where like the equality that you would want to see in our world exists as well in different places. I think that there's also something to be said about um, not being afraid to have a conversation around your game. A lot of the earlier games that I would play in it was like there was such a fear of of metagaming and of people like taking over as themselves instead of being their characters that you wouldn't stop and just have a conversation. Um, whereas games I've played in recently, I really enjoyed being able to actually speak on two levels, to speak on the level that like, um, so one of my DMs, uh, Sophie, had uh, a game zero, which I thought was really fantastic and I hadn't encountered that before the the positive of having that kind of game zero for us especially with Sophie was that she was just able to lay the groundwork and say look this is a world that I've created it was a homebrew game in this world there's people of um all genders but also there's no sexism and she was just like I'm just going to say that and put that out there and I'm also going to say that um there's an importance on matrilineal lines and things like that which is a little bit complicated so I, I won't go into it too much but it was really interesting and it was really helpful because it kind of meant that 
that was a conversation. It wasn't like we landed in the game and suddenly we realized that there was something we didn't know about. It was like, nope, this is there from day one. And I think that as Jenny has kind of touched on, you're always going to have a little bit of um, the kind of things that we're fighting against as an activist in your game because you don't go into a game with no context. A D&D game is played in the context of the world that we all live in. So when you go into a game, you're necessarily going to have things that you say because we all have those things inside of us because of the way that we've been brought up. And I do think it's just about having conversations about them and not in a kind of, uh, well, you've put a foot wrong here, but just kind of when something comes up saying, well, how do we want to deal with this? And what is the importance here? Um, another game that I played was um, Curse of Strad, which is kind of still ongoing with my friend uh, Freddie DMing, which was really, really fun. And it's not a homebrew, so it's one of the Wizards of the Coast uh, manuals. And he was just really open with us and was like, by the way, I've changed this whole town. Because in the, um, in the manual, he was like, I really don't like the way that that town is written, um, because I think it's really ableist. And I just find it really uncomfortable and don't want to do that. And we were just all kind of absolutely undoubtedly on board with that and I think that that Curse of Strad game was actually really interesting because there's different levels of kind of um things like class and there is there is a kind of fighting the established system narrative throughout that game that is very similar to being an activist but what I think is really good about D&D is that you can be like Sophie and make your own homebrew game where you're like, well, I've established this, there's no sexism. Or you could be like Freddie and go, well, I'm going to do it from the manual, but actually I'm going to acknowledge that the game is not perfect and there are huge issues and I'm going to adapt them. And it didn't have a huge consequence on the plot because he just navigated around it. So I do think a lot of it is just not being afraid to actually discuss the game with each other. Because at the end of the day, the real focus and joy of D&D is the fact that together you sit around a table and you make a story together. And if you don't feel that you can navigate structural problems or discuss changes or talk really openly about who, you, who your character is and what their goal is and what you want to do, then it's going to be so much harder to actually participate in that communal storytelling. As we discussed ways in which games could handle inequality and model equality, we considered a specific example, the game Night Witches by Bully Pulpit Games, which is about a regiment of Soviet women pilots during the Second World War who attacked invading German forces whilst facing discrimination and sabotage from their sexist male compatriots. The system, mechanics, character generation and setting have these issues of sexism woven into their very fabric. It is very much a game about wartime women overcoming discrimination and sexism and the bonds of solidarity and camaraderie they build between them. I asked Jenny and Catherine what their thoughts are on games like this and how they would handle them. The idea that it's right up there front and centre means that you'll know exactly what you're sort of opting into. I think I'd much rather have that as like an active choice, being like, this game is going to talk about sexism. If we don't want to play this game today, that's okay. But like, this is what this game is is doing. And I think having questions like that in the character gen is, is also really interesting. Like having a question like, how would you react to someone doing the sexist thing? Like, I think that should help players make characters that will find this game enjoyable. Because if you have a, if you, if you didn't know that that was going to be part of the game and you made a character that like didn't really 
care about inequality, that game's probably gonna be quite boring for you to play, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think the important thing for me would be about making that active choice um, into like, this game is about sexism. So if we're feeling that, then we can play it. Um, whereas things like, um, as Catherine was saying, the Curse of Strad, like nowhere on that game, presumably it says, oh, and you're gonna encounter loads of ableism in this village. Um, it's just there. So I think I'd much rather it's like, oh yeah, this, this, is, this is here and it's bad you can use that to tell a story. I like what Catherine was talking about a session zero as well. Like, and even just laying out to your players, like this is what this campaign is going to be about and like gauging their interest. They might not be interested at all in what you have planned or like be like, actually, I don't want to explore this sort of thing. Um, I'm not interested in, in, in doing that. There's something interesting about um, who is playing a game and what form of injustice it is that you are role playing. So, for example, if I was playing a group, a game, sorry, that had um, sexism ingrained in it, my thought would be I would be playing that with my group that's all women. But then there's a part of me that feels a little resistant to that because I think it feels a bit rough to go, here's something we encounter literally every day in our lives, let's have a game about it. At the same time, I'm aware that would offer problem solving opportunities and kind of maybe make us feel really excited and kind of vindicated because part of the joy of the game would be beating sexism. Maybe this is just in my head and, and this is actually kind of a shame, but I would be hesitant to bring that game to one of my groups that has more men in it because I would feel, why are they wanting to role play sexism? There's something unnerving about it because on the one hand, I really want them to because I want them to understand what it's like. and I. I think role playing could f offer such a fantastic opportunity but on the other hand I would feel a little resentful because I would kind of feel why do you have to role play it and it have to happen to you for you to understand it instead of actually just listening to your female peers. I think there needs to be so much conversation around it. There's interrogation in yourself of why you're playing this and if it is a uh, I just want to have a night with my pals where we like beat sexism and do that problem solving and it feels really inspiring then that's great. But if there's a layer to it that, that feels maybe a little bit icky about kind of, I want to experience what it's like to be a, a woman and, and feel the pain. I'm just, I think there is something very delicate there about how do we go into this game being aware of what its topics are, but making sure that we as players who maybe haven't faced that intolerance are respectful to what that is actually like as a lived experience in the real world and to other players who may be facing that exact same tolerance themselves. Catherine makes the critical point about being sensitive to the lived experience of someone who may have faced this kind of discrimination in the real world and the danger of assuming that we can know what something is like just by role-playing a character. This is something we covered in the last episode of the podcast in my conversation with Dr. Megan Connell. You can find more details in the previous episode, but for now, I'll briefly recap that there is a very useful resource on how to write characters who are different from your own sensibility and how to research this sensitively. This resource is called Writing the Other, which I will link to in the description to this episode. But continuing our conversation, Catherine, Jenny and I reflected more closely on what it is that makes TRPGs such an empowering activity and whether it was wish fulfillment for being heroes, escapism from our problems, catharsis of facing what we otherwise cannot in real life, or some combination of the above. I like that you've put escapism and wish fulfillment as kind of separate because I think that escapism, wish fulfillment and catharsis are actually very linked. And I think that, I mean, the, the best exam example I have of this is actually that I 
went into a game once where I decided like I kind of have a really big passion for playing an older lady and I have no idea why it's not something I've ever done maybe I just have a really strong appreciation of the older Scottish women in my life but that's something I've always really enjoyed in games um so I created a, a dwarf called Gertrude who was very heavily influenced by two characters one being like Minerva McGonagall from the Harry Potter series and the other character being Lynn Bayfong from uh, Legend of Korra who is kind of very similar um, but they're both very powerful in their own way so like Minerva McGonagall is actually one of the best witches in the entire series. I will take no questions on that fact, it's just a fact um, and Lynn Bayfong is also um, like an incredibly strong metal bender so if you haven't watched Legend of Korra, that is your homework for this episode. You just need to go and like watch Avatar and Legend of Korra and then you'll just have so many good ideas for what you want to do with D&D. Um, but my character was like this woman called Gertrude, very like no nonsense, straight and narrow, Presbyterian, no fuss, no thrills. And she lived in a world where um, there was a huge festival once a year and there was huge magical displays. There was real excess like drinking and music and dancing and everyone in this world was desperate to go to this festival because it was like the highlight of the of the year and my character was like absolutely not that is my version of hell and she also actively didn't believe in magic now that woman is kind of the opposite of everything i would say i am but during that game so many things came out about how we had to like create backstories Part of the game zero was had to name not only our character but our, our parents um because um our dm really kind of wanted to have additional characters specific to each person's character which was really nice um and i just threw out the fact that i was like well i think her mother is called this and her mother is um the, like the head of the city guards in her town and i was like i think her father's recently died and i don't like know why i why I said that I just kind of thought that's what made sense for Gertrude in that moment um and actually the last game in that campaign was all about Gertrude actually um through kind of magical means she got to see her dad again and my god there was like tears just rolling down my face because um in my actual life my biological father uh, passed away before I was born. And you think, you would think, oh, well, that's so obvious. That's why you said that Gertrude's dad was dead. Like, you, you just picked that because of that. But honestly, in that moment, I, I wasn't even thinking about it. And I got to have this, it sounds so, so soppy. And it was, but um, it was so nice actually getting to like, talk about that through role playing. It didn't cheapen it at all because it was really well handled um, and it didn't you know it didn't really go into depths of like do you miss me I'm your dead dad um, but I went into that game expecting to play this like straight woman just to kind of be a bit of a laugh and actually what I ended up getting out of it was really addressing this side of myself that I didn't really recognize I had because I thought Gertrude was the opposite of me and actually she wasn't she was just very much a part of me that I was um, maximizing. But also I got to do this whole thing about like grief and loss, which I just hadn't at all predicted. And actually getting to like 
play this like older woman who was maybe like 40 or 50 but who could still be like yeah I really miss my dad and it sucks um I don't know there was just something really nice about that and I hadn't gone in going like this will be emotional catharsis this will be therapy this will be a form of um yeah I didn't I didn't go in thinking it would be like a form of therapy or a form of addressing things in my own life but that's kind of what came out of it and if you have a good dm who you can be open with if something is too close to the bone of what you're going through currently you can still get the escapism because you can say i want to veer away from that my character wants to go and do something totally different but at the same time the catharsis is harder because might not always come but i don't think we can plan for it I think I really agree with Catherine saying, like, you might think you're making something, but you're always, always, always putting something of yourself in it. So um, my mum passed away when I was 20. And when I wrote my character for my friend's campaign, I wrote someone with a mum who had passed away. And again, like Catherine, like, I hadn't put that in there because my mum had died. I just put it in there because, you know, it's D&D. Like D&D Orphan is like a total trope. I'd, I'd made this character with a with a dead mum, and in the game, I got to find out who had killed her, and then I got to go kill them. Now, no one, not one person, like killed my mum. She died. It was very sad, um, but it wasn't anyone's fault. So there's no way in the real world that I could go and do that. But in this fantasy world, you know, I got to stab him with a flaming sword, and it was really great. And then he died, you know, and then I took his crown, and like raised his city to the ground. It was amazing, you know. And like Catherine said, like, there's no way I could have planned that. I couldn't have been like, oh, I want to feel powerful in something that made me feel so powerless. I want to like put this in there, this like the like the worst things ever happened to me, and I want to deal with that in a way that I haven't through all of the grief therapy I've done, you know. But it came, it came with the game, and I think that's honestly what's so magical about Dungeons and Dragons is. I just really wanted to say something about that because I think this like illustrates it really well. So during my nine to five job, I work a lot with children. And one of the main things that you get told about when you work with children in terms of child protection, but also child psychology is that children deal with everything in their life through play. Like, so if you see kids just playing together, so much of it is from what they have observed and what they've copied and it's it's how they deal with things that they're stressed about but it's also how they deal with things that they really love so you notice like if a kid is really 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 into like paw patrol they're going to play and play and play and play and play that they're paw patrol if a kid is really really stressed about something like like they're being bullied at school they're going to play and play and play and play and it's because that is how when we're children we kind of navigate our way through problems and, and things that we like it's like we're kind of connecting the dots and we're problem solving. Sometimes I help run drama sessions with people who are normally a bit older than me, so in their 30s and 40s, who might not do any kind of form of drama like that. And my job is I, I help an artist and we go in and the artist might do something where it's like, we need to play like we're going to make an entire imaginary town and we need to play through that town. And what you so quickly notice is the first maybe three minutes everyone's a bit like oh I don't know what to do five minutes in everyone is playing very much about stuff in their own life so there's always necessarily some chat about what's been in the news and a recreation of that even if they aren't explicitly going like we are separating this and this and this is obviously Brexit you will notice they start playing stuff that they're afraid of so not long before the COVID-19 lockdown when we were starting to get more well, we were still out and about but it was starting to make more of us anxious all of them were role-playing things to do with like sneezing and coughing and hospitals and 
I am fully aware this gonna this me describing that might make that sound really really cheap, but it's absolutely not. It is because the way that our brains work is we have these things that are kind of stuck in our head and our brain really is constantly trying to problem solve them and there's times in our life where we can't problem solve them because we can't problem solve our way out of lockdown and we can't problem solve solve our way out of grief but your brain is still trying anyway because your brain's just constantly making connections and the reason i think that D is fantastic it is it is one of the only opportunities that adults actually have to play in a really unashamed way because kids come home every day from school and they sit and, and role play with things like dolls or teddies or whatever. But there's a certain point in adulthood where you don't do that. And your only way to kind of play through your problems, I guess, is, is talking about them. But you are still talking about them as Catherine, 24, the administrator. You're not talking about them through another lens. You're not getting that separation. I think that's a big part of the reason that I came to writing and performing was it was a way to put a, put a distance between what I was struggling with that was still from my own voice. If you've listened to our last episode, you'll find a lot of what Catherine just said resonates with my discussions with Jonathan Mendoza and Dr. Megan Connell. Moreover, both Catherine and Jenny talked about how their games featured some really heavy stuff like grief. I think it is vital to stress, however, that you should be careful about exploring these themes unless everyone at the table is ready to handle emotional content with such intensity. Always check with everyone, particularly the players or GMs involved, whether they're okay with the intensity of this kind of content, and make sure that everyone at the table feels safe and comfortable when dealing with these topics. It can make things worse or be really distressing or difficult if people have to face this and are not prepared for it. For a more detailed discussion of this, you might want to listen to our previous episode. Finally, Jenny, Catherine and I all had experiences of discrimination or gatekeeping in this community in different ways. I know this is a complex topic, and one which often gets talked about in very abstract terms, but both Jenny and Catherine have a lot of experience in campaigning for social change. So to conclude this episode, I invited them to reflect on their experiences and to talk about how we as gamers can work towards changing our community for the better and making it more inclusive. The first part of it is making sure that we ourselves are safe when we're playing and playing with our people who we trust and communicating, which we've already touched on a lot in this episode. But I do think that's really important because if we can't speak up to our, our friends and feel safe in this environment, then we can't step beyond that. Once we have kind of created these spaces for ourselves and our friends and the people that we want to make sure are safe and have that escapism, I do think it is about um, addressing the issues beyond just our spheres. But I do think it is about kind of very similar to what you would do in political activism once you've got your own practice and your own group addressing the problems when you see them but just things like getting talked over a lot um as as a woman or as i guess as someone who's not white uh will probably experience this as well just like people just talk over you all the time and there's there's many more like i think as as a woman playing a woman all the time when you're playing with loads of men um you just keep encountering the fact that there's this assumption that the female character is like the romantic object and then all the men are just like trying to like woo you i mean even when you're playing like a little old lady who's like a 
turtle or something and you're just like why come on like leave me alone i'm i'm like a peer i'm not like <laughs> i'm not a trophy um and the way i would role play when that would happen is i would just be like no i'm not interested <laughs> i would just make my character be like i'm not interested i'm focused on this like i'm here to do this maybe those men are just not doing that intentionally and they don't see that and they don't they just see it as like fun flirty jokes but they don't realize that like literally other every other man on the table is doing the exact same thing and it's really irritating because i'm just trying to like do something i mean like it, it's like <laughs> it's like uh being flirted with at work and you're like i'm just trying to do my job but i think that we just need to be really honest and it's not about um it's not about aggressively going for people and going like well here's the list of the things you've done wrong I think it's just when it happens, um, being really open and being like, this is not okay. Um, and just highlighting the problem or whether that be actively standing up to, um, question if something comes out, like, um, should we be actively talking to Wizards of the Coast because we have an issue with, um, for like for example curse of strad the really ableist town but i don't think you can reach those steps of um conversations with people you don't know before you feel so entrenched and comfortable doing it with the people you really do know and really love when we're talking about real world inequalities impacting on the game you know i think there's two there's two ways it can happen so i think it's either the players doing it or it coming up in the story and i think we've talked a lot about it coming up in the story already so i think i'll also talk about um players who do it so i do remember my first ever game of DD. i went to like a little nerdy board game shop that smelled of lynx africa and like virgins and like I played in a group and there was like one other girl there who was playing and it was me and then like loads of men, I think it was like five or six men. And uh, it was fun, like I had fun, I had a lot of fun. Quick content advisory. Jenny discusses an experience of sexual harassment. If this is something that would distress you, please skip ahead 10 seconds. But one of them, like uh, quite a few of them like wanted to flirt with the barmaids and the story. One of the people playing, not one of the characters, picked up a dice and like threw it at my cleavage at one point. Now as Gius's equality and well-being officer, if I may just very quickly add, the kind of conduct that Jenny has described is unacceptable. In line with our commitment to and our responsibility for our members' safety, Gius has a stringent zero-tolerance policy towards harassment. We will deal with these issues with due strictness and perpetrators of harassment will be sanctioned accordingly. If you have experienced any such harassment or discriminatory behaviour, we want you to know that the committee will support you should you choose to come forward. We have an anti-harassment policy and a complaints procedure to enable us to do so. I'll link to them in the description. But let's get back to the podcast. Now, it really is a testament to D&D that I went back and played after that because I had so much fun. Um, obviously, I didn't play with the same group, but D&D does get a bad reputation for being full of, of those sorts of men. And I think they do exist, but there's also so many other people who are playing. I think the three of us are a good representation of that. There are ways to address stuff like that when it happens at the table. Like obviously some of them are red lines. Like that that wasn't acceptable and I wasn't gonna play with that person again. Like I don't think however many conversations we would have together, he would ever, you know, come around to my way of thinking. He might understand what he did was wrong, but like not in enough for me to want to want to play with him again. Yeah, I think other ways that sexism specifically, but I'm sure other forms of structural inequality come to the table is the same way Catherine said with people interrupting you. Um I have it all the time like it's 
it's funny that it's the same stuff you get at work is like men interrupting you men taking credit for your ideas and it's like and you get the same stuff at the D table because like like Catherine's already said when we're playing D, we're not leaving this world actually you know because we we all are actually from this universe where all of these things exist and we, we're going to bring them into the game as sort of baggage um in our personalities whether or not we want to uh and I, I think the, the best way to deal with that when it comes up with players is for all of us just to get better at criticism. And I also really struggle with it um, because obviously as women, we're not ever supposed to say anything's ever wrong. Um, but like not only better like giving criticism, but also receiving criticism. So, you know, working out the best way to bring something up if someone said something or done something that you think isn't okay. Um, and also when someone comes to you with that, like knowing how to deal with it, you know, like getting defensive is obviously not very helpful. And also like apologizing because that person felt like that isn't an apology you know all of these like really basic human skills that no one ever teaches us i think is something that we can all learn together and dnd is actually a really good place to learn it because you're almost that one step removed so like if your character says something that's like kind of racist or ableist or homophobic and another character checks you like that's almost a step away because i know people it's really easy to get defensive if someone if someone calls you out on something because it feels like they're telling you you're an evil person you know you said that one racist thing therefore you're a nazi and like we all just need to get better at not jumping like that because you're you're always going to say stuff that's wrong and like you have to listen when people check you so yeah i think that's being better at criticism is a good way we even see it on like the shows like critical role which is like the biggest one that most like the biggest dungeon dragon show i watched the whole first season and twice during that two men playing men characters said about Keyleth who is Marisha Ray's character who is also a woman like woman character woman player said oh and then I kiss her and then Matt Mercer would just like let that happen and it's like excuse me fucking roll for it like no like does she not get a say like would you ever say that of a man would you ever like say of a man character oh and then I just like pinch his arse like no like you'd, you'd be allowed that layer of defense of like one of the people who kissed her she probably did want to kiss her but I really didn't like that at the table she wasn't allowed the space to say that and she wasn't allowed the space to say actually no I, I don't want you to kiss me or oh yeah you lean in and then I and I meet you halfway because that's how kisses happen right no one just kisses someone else and because that's not a kiss that's assault like you know I think we see it everywhere we see it in our personal games we see it on the shows we watch um, and that's the players doing it. Catherine and Jenny's insights about the ways in which we need to keep ourselves safe, be more honest in addressing issues that arise, and get better at giving and receiving criticism are really vital takeaways from our discussion. They talked about the work that we as gamers need to do, which rounds off really well what they said at the start about how games can allow us to model equality as well as solve problems of inequality in an empowering narrative. I'd like to thank my guests for this episode, Catherine Wilson and Jenny Lester, for their great insights and for the generosity with which they shared their experiences in this hobby. You can find links to their social media handles in the episode description. We will be back in two weeks' time with our final episode in this run of the Gears Quarren Streams podcast. The music on this episode was Wholesome and Deliberate Thought by Kevin McLeod. Details and attribution in the description, along with links to the various things we talked about in the episode. You can get in touch with us about the podcast via email at gears.committee at gmail.com or via the Gears Facebook page, Discord, or at Gears Edinburgh on Twitter. My name is Vivek Santayana. I am at Vivek Santayana on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Gears Quarantine Streams podcast, where quarantine is about the friends we make along the way.